Hello, and welcome to Catholicism in the Car. My name is Parker Zerbal. I want to talk about uh, the Eucharistic revival that's going on in the Catholic Church uh, in the United States. Uh, I've been put on a committee at my parish for organizing events and promoting uh, devotion to the Eucharist throughout these next few years of this uh, of this revival. Uh, in our diocese, uh, it's starting off with a Corpus Christi procession, a Eucharistic procession, uh, in a city in the middle of our diocese in Warsaw, Indiana. And uh, hopefully, you know, a lot of people will come, will make a pretty big impact. Uh, but most importantly, I hope it revives Catholics' faith in the Eucharist. I think it's, the statistic is something like uh, 20% of practicing Catholics believe in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And I think I've mentioned before in another episode, but um, because of this Eucharistic revival, I've been doing a lot of research, compiling compiling uh, magisterial texts from uh, th- throughout the Church's history. So, so far, I've, I've basically only been going through uh, the, the Church councils. There's, there's a lot there. Uh, yeah. Um, I was... I've been pretty surprised at how much there is uh, regarding the Eucharist within the Church councils, even even quite early councils, um, there's uh, there's references to the, to the in the in the first Ecumenical Council of Nicaea, which uh, occurred in 325 A.D., to uh, deacons who were trying to be trying to give um, communion the Eucharist to bishops or priests, um, and you can see why this you know, would be a problem. Uh, it's it's Unfitting that that the deacon who does not confect the sacrament uh, give it to the bishop or priest, being the ones who, who do confect the sacrament. Um, and it, it, I, I want to do some further research into that particular instance um, to get some more historical context on what was what was probably going on there. Um, I think that would be fascinating. Right right now, as I've said, I, I've just been compiling references. Um, References to the Eucharist throughout the Ecumenical Councils, and also some, I did some cursory, cursory references. It's a hard word to say. Uh, in Scripture, um, I only have like a few of them throughout the Old Testament, New Testament, and I'm going to compile quite a few more. Um, but yeah, so yeah, so the, the the First Council, the Council of Nicaea, uh, and then I think there were there were some some references, not explicitly to the Eucharist, but just to Jesus's humanity and how his, his human nature, he truly took upon flesh. Um, this was the, the main reason for the calling of the Council of Ephesus, uh, which was in... Okay, that would have been... Jeez, 431, maybe? I don't... It wasn't that much longer. It, it wasn't very long after the Council of Nicaea. Um, anyway, I'm kind of forgetting the dates here. But the, uh, yeah, the Council of Ephesus... So there was a lot of references to Jesus' humanity because um, I think it was I think it was Nestorius at that point was trying to emphasize Jesus' 
uh, divinity to the exclusion of his humanity. That, that's a very much an oversimplification, and I know a lot of people say that Nestorius actually didn't hold to such ideas. Uh, but, yeah, that actually it, it created the first uh, schism in the church with the uh, Oriental Orthodox, uh, many of them at least, the, the Coptics, uh, those under the patriarchal see of uh, St. Mark. Um, yeah. So, yeah, a, lo- a, lo- a lot of people don't know that there was this much earlier schism. I believe it was after the Council of Ephesus. Yeah. Uh, after the Council of Ephesus in 431, um, the schism that occurred and, and, and has not been healed since. Um those Oriental Orthodox churches, they have, you know, all all of them have apostolic succession, they have valid sacraments, uh, and really, for the most part, it seems like the theological issue has been rectified, um, but over the course of, of many, many years, um, there's also been a lot of, like, anti-papal uh, sentiments that have kind of crept into that uh, sect. And uh, so that, that makes that makes uh, union a little more difficult. Uh, on, on that note, I read, well, I listened to an audiobook version of uh, Pope Leo XIII's encyclical on uh, church uh, reunion, the, the reunion of the different sects of the church. Um, and he starts off talking to the, the Orthodox Starts up talking to the Orthodox in particular, and his his paternal love for them, and, and the desire for that unity, it, it was just beautiful. I, I was tearing up. I, I was mowing the lawn while I was listening to it, and, and I couldn't help but tear up. Because can you just imagine if both lungs of the church? I think it was JP two who coined that phrase. If both lungs of the church were working again. If the Eastern and the Oriental Orthodox were, and, and, and the Latins, we were all able to come into union with each other. Because uh, really all that divides us now is the issue of, of the papacy. And, and hopefully the other 13th mentions this, that, that really all that divides us is the papacy. Um, and, and of course, Leo Thirteenth is talking, he's writing this after the First Vatican Council. Um, after the First Vatican Council. So a lot of Orthodox claim that the First Vatican Council poses quite a big obstacle to reunion, uh, just because of the, the uh, statements on, particularly on papal jurisdiction. Um, but what's interesting is that Leo XIII, in this encyclical, he says explicitly, like, we will um, we will make sure, we will ensure that you, um, you have all of your authority that you have now particular churches. Like he, he ensures this. Um, and, and I think I think there have been other popes more recently who've done the same thing. Uh, I believe JP2 and Pride Paul VI also said things in a similar vein. Um, and uh, I just I pray so much that that union be able to come about. If any any Orthodox or Oriental any Eastern or Oriental Orthodox listening to this, I beg you uh, for your prayers for the unity.
Jesus, wish that we be one. We wish that we be one. And I pray, I pray that that may come to fruition once again. Uh, that, that the schism that's happened with the Oriental Orthodox for the last 1,500 years may be, may be healed. And the schism with the, the Eastern Orthodox, which most people go back to 1054 as the initial date of schism, but I would say it's probably 1204, really, um, when, uh, when the Roman Crusaders, the Latin Crusaders, uh, sacked the city of Constantinople. It was a horrible, horrible grievance, which which the church has duly apologized for, and, and I hope that I hope that those things do not uh, cause a barrier to unity anymore. That we can really just focus on the people, the issue of papal authority now, uh, and hopefully things can be healed. Okay, thank you. Oh, uh, real quick, real quick, please feel free to uh, subscribe to any of my podcasts on any of the podcast players. Find me on YouTube. Please subscribe on YouTube if you enjoy this content. Like me on Facebook, like the Catholicism in the Car channel on Facebook. Uh, Twitter, Instagram, we're all there. Catholicism in the Car, find us. Uh, let's see. And then I also have a Patreon account if you wish to support what I do at this at this uh, podcast and this YouTube channel. And then uh, you can also support us on anchor.fm. There's a support button there you can click on. I also have links to all of this on my website's support page at www.catholicisminthecar.com. Thanks and God bless. Bye.